Okay, uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to South Radical Media. Uh, my name is Abraham Madit Majab, and my guest in the studio this evening is Dr. Peter Biara Jack. And for those of you who are watching in uh, on Facebook, Clubhouse, and YouTube, please start sharing the video, pin people in. Uh, let me welcome my guest this evening, Dr. Peter uh, Peter Biara Jack. Welcome to to the show again. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Madit. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you, thank you. So uh, let me move in, uh, uh, Dr. Peter Biard. Uh, my first question that I would like to ask you, what what is uh, Peter Biard Jack doing this lately? And what <laughs> has been a while, I haven't, I haven't talked to you. So how yeah. is Peter Biard Jack doing? Well, thank you very much, brother, for asking that. Uh, I'm doing very well. Um, I'm very happy. I'm thankful, thankful to the Lord for his protection. Uh, these last two years have been a time of upheaval. I've been blessed. I uh, haven't re relocated to the United States in 2020. Uh, last time we spoke, I think, that time I was uh, uh, doing a fellowship at the National Endowment for Democracy. Uh, now I have moved back to Harvard University. I'm uh, a postdoctoral fellow there in the International Security Program. Uh, at the Belfast Center for Science International Affairs. Uh, so I'm grateful. I'm working on some materials. 
uh, one of the reasons why I've been so quiet. But I'm also in Washington, D.C., uh, coming there a lot. Uh, there's a lot of challenges going on at home. And uh, uh, we are doing everything we can to help our people in different ways. Uh, and at the same time, to continue the struggle that we are all going through, and that is a struggle for a better South Sudan, where there is democracy, there is rule of law, where there is equal opportunity. Uh, that struggle uh, requires a lot of presence in D.C., and it has been my privilege to be there and to do a lot of work there. We'll talk about some of these things uh, later on in the course of the show. Uh, but I'm very excited. I'm uh, very positive. Uh, I've also been working on a film, uh, which we just released, I hope. Uh, mm -hmm. You people will talk about it. You will get to screen it. Uh, this film is about a young Equatorian lady uh, called Shamira. Uh, she, she and her family, they were displaced. Uh, because of the war from Juba and then from Ye, uh, they moved to Uganda, Bidibidi camp. Uh, along the way, they faced a lot of challenges. Uh, her mother was raped uh, many times, uh, and uh, she struggled a lot. <clears throat> the film is called The Elephants and the Grass, and it's a metaphor about when the elephants fight, uh, it is the grass that suffer. And the elephants here are the leaders of South Sudan that divided the people. And when they fought, people like Shamira and her mother were caught in the middle of the conflict and they were victimized by the war. So it's a very important film. Uh, it just premiered in New York a few weeks ago. And then also recently at the New Hampshire uh, Film Festival, uh, we are going to begin a program to distribute it to the diaspora and to screen it in many cities. We welcome uh, people of South Sudan to come with suggestions on how we can watch this film together and reflect on it. It's a way of uh, really showing that all of us have, 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 have suffered uh, through the conflict. And it's about time that we, we unite, we heal, and we, we move the nation forward. We push for these elections to happen, and we have a democratic transition in our country. Thank you so much. It's really, yeah, it's really, uh, you put it very, uh, very right way because you know uh, what our country is going on civilians are suffering, mothers are suffering, children are suffering, all young, everywhere. So we hope uh, there will be a change coming in between now and through uh, to the election. You know, I saw I saw other day, yesterday I went, I saw you uh, take a picture with uh, Dr. Anthony. Uh, can you tell a little bit about that? So I saw that, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I had the pleasure of seeing him uh, two nights ago. Hmm. Uh, is one of the social events in D.C. is called the Meridian Ball. Uh, and this one is thrown annually. There has independent committee that organizes it. Uh, but it's done in coordination with all the embassies uh, here in Washington, D.C. Mm. Um, I had a, a pleasure of being invited for a dinner at the Qatari embassy beforehand. Uh, we joined the ambassador just with a small select of people. Uh, and then I, I had a chance to see uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, it was really uh, humbling uh, to to talk with we talk with him. Uh, we share some notes on uh, the Ebola uh, virus, uh, the outbreak in uh, in Uganda, which is now really threatening the people of South Sudan. Uh, I talked to him to, to so that he really understand the depth of challenges that South Sudan is caught in. Uh, we have, of course, the problem of flood that has been happening uh, for many years. That has really instructed uh, everything. Uh, the social welfare, vaccination, the access by 
humanitarian organization. Uh, so people have been made vulnerable at a very extreme level. Uh, and the systems of administration have also been disrupted uh, by these floods. We, of course, we have the problem of conflict that is going on in the country. Uh, there is a pretense in Juba that the peace agreement is there. We know very well that our communities are fighting it among each other. Just two of us, we, being Dinka people, uh, we know uh, what is going on. It's actually only now in Lake State that peace has returned. But the rest of the states, if you just go here in Warap, uh, in Tony, we all witness what happened, and even the, the killing of the military personnel, uh, the crisis that is going on between Twitch Mayadit uh, and a BIA community. Uh, and of course, uh, we, we find across other communities uh, in Upper Nile State now, uh, it's really a crisis. And all of these are not being addressed, you know. And then on top of that, now you have the pandemic, uh, the, the COVID-19. We don't even talk about it anymore. Mm. But that has also been going on, has ravaged the country. And then on top of it, now you add the Ebola crisis uh, in the middle of the economic crisis where resources have been sold in advance. Uh, we, 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 we talk about this in May and people seem to have moved on. But this is not an issue that is going anywhere because those resources are sold at a price of 40 and they're not coming back. So uh, we are caught in an economic crisis and there is this disease that is coming in and threatening uh, systems of uh, administration. So, and you know, our government has become a pariah. This is the thing that the people don't understand, uh, that the way that we have behaved inside the country uh, and the mismanagement of the country has made us vulnerable. And people don't trust us because even initially when the COVID uh, pandemic came uh, and the international support was provided, there was too much corruption. Just the money that was provided to help people with COVID, there was a lot of corruption in it to the extent that the development partners have become quite concerned about partnering with the people of South Sudan. It's as if there's no partner on the other side. Mm. That is some of the issues that I raise. But the good thing is he, he, he's monitoring the situation. In fact, to be honest with you, I was uh, surprised by the extent to which he was already knowledgeable and, and, and up to date on the pandemic itself. Uh, he's constantly being brief. He's, he's, he's monitoring this. You know very well, uh, he's basically the chief uh, uh, doctor of this country looking at issues of infectious disease. Uh, Ebola actually is a category four virus. Uh, is at the same category with those of HIV-8, uh, much, much, much higher. Uh, coronavirus is only category three. We're talking about category four with the bird flu uh, being at category five. So it's very serious stuff, uh, but uh, he assured me that there would be support that would come. Uh, so uh, it was quite a privilege and uh, to, to be able to talk with him and something that is completely non-political and purely about uh, helping the people of South Sudan. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Peter. Uh, yes, you know, he's a really great guy and he, he did a lot of work during uh, uh, former President uh, Trump administration and then did much more with the current uh, President uh, uh, Joe Biden, and he did a lot. When the, I remember uh, a few years ago, when the Ebola breakout and COVID nineteen, he was really work hard. And I know, and I'm glad that the reason I was interested in this. So when you met with him, it's good that you talked to him, and he can do uh, work hand in hand with the doctors in in Africa and all. And Sudan has has one of the countries very vulnerable with on those. Uh, uh, when the disease like this, like COVID-19 or 
Ebola breakout, how people are very vulnerable for those issues. Um, so did you talk to me about, about go ahead, yeah. No, I was just gonna say like the one thing to, to, to mention about the current outbreak in particular is that the strain of virus that we are looking at, this is the Sudan variant. This is a very, very deadly form of Ebola. Uh, kind of different from the, what we saw in West Africa uh, a few years ago. Uh, this is strained, by the way, uh, there is uh, there is an old knowledge because it has initially was detected in the area of Western Equatoria in the 1970s, uh, the especially around Nzara uh, factory. Uh, so it's indigenous actually to, to, to our country. And it disappeared for many, many years. It was not seen again. And there will be there has been other strains that have come in Congo, like the Congolese variant. That was what we were seeing a lot in West Africa last time. And there is a great understanding of that. And there's some vaccine that has been built. One of the things that made it possible for the coronavirus vaccine to be produced at such a rocket time was because there was a, already a deep understanding of coronavirus, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is like a, a genetic sequencing of it that the doctors were already familiar with it. So when you have knowledge of that, it's easy to ram up uh, the rest of the uh, genetic understanding of the disease and how it mutates and how it is passed on. Uh, now, the problem with the Sudan variant is that because it disappeared for a very long time, people do not know uh, if it was now to spread at a much faster rate, uh, what the consequence of that might be. And already the variances that we were monitoring, the doctors like the CDC, uh, if you look at the Institute of Health uh, and other different experts across the country and across the world, uh, they were looking at these old, these other variances, and there is some production that exists. If, the, if for example, if there was a need to ramp up a, a vaccine production, but the Sudan variant one, uh, it doesn't exist. So it really makes the the the, the prevention uh, the most uh, important thing to look at now, and also to then ramp up the understanding of it, so that we learn very quickly and people prepare, uh, so that we don't see what happened in Liberia. Mm. or Guinea or some, because we cannot handle it. We're already dealing with so many crises that if you add something like that on the top of it, it will be overwhelming for the system of government and capacity that we have in our country. True, true, true. You know, um, let me move to the, uh, you know, as a uh, few months ago, uh, like last year, actually, when we, I bring you to this show, um, uh, we talked a little bit about opposition. Uh, that are soliciting opposition in the Asper, which uh, form uh, a round table. They just came up with this uh, round. Uh, they want to come uh, to do a round table discussion with the opposition parties and South Sudanese and even the government uh, to sit down and talk about what went wrong and how can we solve uh, the issue that's going in our country and how the peace will, can be achieved in the country. Can you tell a little bit, are you a part of that group that doing a round table discussion? Well, let, 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 me, let me answer it like this. Look, there are a lot of uh, people that are concerned about where the country is headed. Right. Uh, you know, we have been unable to organize elections uh, since our independence. Uh, and that is, a, that is a big challenge on all of us as people of South Sudan. And it's a big challenge on the SPLM as a party uh, that led the people of South Sudan through the independence. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge that we cannot just rub aside 
it, it says something about where we are as a nation. And no matter uh, how people pretend not to be an issue, it is very much an issue because in the issue of legitimacy, the legitimacy of our state, uh, we got in our independence in the 21st century and there was a general understanding of how nation state behave. One of those is the regular conduct of the election so that people are given chances uh, to elect their own leaders because situation changes. We just witnessed now in the UK how they've been able to change prime ministers rapidly within a very short time. And it's because of the challenges and there is a need for political leadership that can help countries to deal with real challenges that have consequences on life of the people, on their welfare and so forth. And we as a people of South Sudan have failed miserably uh, on, on carrying out that basic duty. Uh, the extension you know, is a big question mark on our willingness to organize ourselves as a people and effectively run a country. Even the Somalis managed to organize elections and hand over our power in a peaceful manner. Why can't we do not do the same? Uh, so it's a big challenge. Uh, and if the South Sudanese people are talking about it, uh, they should definitely talk. And personally, I'm happy to talk with whoever who is concerned about these issues because we, we cannot escape it again. I don't think there is any appetite in the world for another extension beyond the current extension that has been made. Uh, so the question becomes, okay, the extension has happened. But what is going to happen within these two years that will ensure that there will be no other extension and that elections will actually take place on time? So if this is some of the discussion people are talking about, uh, I'm happy to be part of this conversation. And of course, uh, there are some that are going on with other different discussion going on. And it's important that people are talking because we cannot wait until the time of the elections now to discuss this. Uh, and there has to be more discussion too. It doesn't matter who is organizing these discussions. What matters really is the agenda of it. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, there really need to be a discussion on the most minimal agenda that need to be conducted uh, so that elections happen on time. Uh, I have been doing some of the work uh, already, looking at some of the laws that need to be amended uh, and how they need to be amended so that we widen the democratic space. Uh, and then the other thing is finances. How do we mobilize resources so that elections do happen? Because elections are not cheap. And how do we organize the logistics? Because the logistics are enormous. We have floods going on and it's unlikely to go anywhere. It does not mean because we have floods, we have to suspend the, the conduct of democratic exercises. We have to carry on. And the question is gonna be, how do we carry on and actually make sure that these elections that we will do, uh, mindful that they are the fir our first, they're as democratic as they can possibly be. And that everyone is allowed to participate equally and our people are empowered to be able to determine the future of their country. True, true. And also to talk about the election, you know, um, now we have 24 months. It's still, it's still, it will start on January, uh, 24 months through the election. What if the 24 months is not that long, it will be definitely. Uh, and if what do opposition that are not in the country can uh, do the opposition having a power to tell the government that, okay, the election, now you guys do an extension for 24 months. And what if 
the 24 month came and that's all we need okay we didn't achieve anything we need more time so the government and other opposition in the government like io and opp and others that uh so okay we need more time and then they said oh okay we we need more another two more months uh two years and then they keep doing that what will be alternative for the people of south sudan to do or the opposition well first of all uh south sudan is not a country that is uh in isolation um it's part of the world it's part of the horn of africa it's part of east africa it's part of igat it's part of the african union and although it is a sovereign nation um you know sovereignty is people don't understand is is a concept that came up at a particular time because of warfare in europe and when it came up it was that countries should not interfere in the affairs of other countries mm. now, originally uh although it was respected there was always ways in which countries continue to influence each other and influence affairs in other states but particularly in the 20th century with the rise of international institutions first the league of nations and then eventually the united nations and so forth and the understanding that global peace can be affected by activities of some state and that there is a need for international institutions that are able to ensure collective security right that's like the key concept uh, that defined the existence of the united nation over time uh, other work happened uh, with the nuanced understanding of international relations and international uh, systems when issues like genocide uh, start becoming serious concerns uh, with the holocaust and then later on uh, issues of right of self determination uh, religious minorities uh, internally displaced persons uh, it became clear that there were some states although they are sovereign they are unable to project peace uh, in their own territories and when they don't human beings suffer uh, international crimes can be committed in the form of genocide ethnic cleansing like what we are seeing now in ethiopia in tigray region uh, those things are happening so what do we do do we just say countries as are sovereign and we let them get away with whatever they can get away no uh, people like francis madingdeng yes. and others working primarily at brookings institutions and at sice uh, uh, the school of advanced and international studies in the early 1990s uh, came up with the concept of sovereignty as responsibility right that sovereignty is not absolute just because you are a sovereign state does not mean that you can just stand by and watch the society disintegrate and people to kill each other and crimes like genocide and ethnic cleansing happens and you claim your sovereignty and you don't do anything to protect the people right so over time things like responsibility to protect became international treaties that were incorporated into the broader understanding of collective security right so here yes you're a sovereign country but you're a sovereign country that exists in the systems of states to perform certain duties and function and that if you don't perform them right then the rest of the world have a moral obligation to interfere to protect life uh to prevent some of these serious human rights violations from occurring right so 
South Sudan here is already becoming a pariah, is isolated. This is why you see, for example, the event that I was at, South Sudanese ambassador probably will not even be invited uh, to come to these places because nobody wants to talk to him about anything because of the way in which the South Sudan government has shown complete lack of competence in providing peace and security for its people, right? So they are being marginalized. And there is a good opportunity right now, by the way, uh, President Biden has invited Salva Kiir, President Salva Kiir, among 50 head of state to attend uh, the US-Africa summit uh, that will take place uh, at the White House from December 13 to December 15. Now, this is a golden opportunity, really, uh, probably the last opportunity uh, to understand, is there really an agenda to get the country on its feet, right? And organize election. If there is that agenda, then what is the responsibility of the government? What is it that the government is prepared to do? And where do they need support, right? Do they need a support from the international community? This is the time to articulate it. And is, is, there is this thing about things being said and not being followed through, right? Sometimes as rebels, you know, you have to lie and, and say certain things that you don't mean. Right. But as a responsible government, you cannot deceive your counterparts. You cannot tell them something that you have no intention of doing. So what is really needed now really is to ensure that these two years is not wasted because we know very well the reason why the peace agreement was not implemented was not because the time was short. It was because there was no political will, right? So the question is, is political will for what, right? So when we define it as something that we are losing, that this will gain and this will lose, then we see the peace agreement as zero sum. But when we understand it from the perspective of agenda and the broader vision of where we are moving as a country and society and where we want to be going, then we can realize that this is something that we can actually do and all of us will win, not that anyone will lose out of this. So it's really a time for people in the SPLM and the liberators, uh, including the president himself and everybody around him, uh, to think about why did they fight for 21 years? What were they trying to accomplish? And now we have been independent for 11 years and we have not allowed our own people, you know, the benefit of the ideals for which we were fighting. There has been no development. Uh, people are still being overthrown, being uh, displaced by flood, you know, by conflict, by war. You know, we have our own government. They have not been able to vote. They can't even vote for their own commissioner, their own member of parliament, uh, you know, their own president. They cannot vote for him. Uh, what kind of society is this? Did we fight so that we can establish a military dictatorship over our people? Was that the reason why the SPLM was formed? No, it was to uplift our people, to empower. This, this power was not for us, it was for them. And I think now this is the thing to, 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 to decide over the next two years. What do we want? Because this could literally be the end of it. This could be the end of the SPLM. But it's also an opportunity to remind ourselves that we are still responsible, that there is still uh, a splinter of fire. That fire of revolution is still glowing inside our hearts. And if we do the right thing, 
it can shine all over our country once more. Thank you, Dr. Peter Biar. You know, um, let me talk to you a little bit about, you know, before the war break out in 2013, and, uh, and South Sudan, when we were so happy of a joy that we got our independence, 97% or 99%, we came out warmly boarding. So was separation from the North. And then we were united. I didn't see the hatred and division among the South Sudanese seen my shadow seen we were in the bridge. I never seen this. 2013, change everything. Everything I was so shocked when I see when the all the tribe are against each other, uh, even within diaspora here. People back home are more even not that much divided than we in Asma. So what is what 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 trigger this division among uh, the social of this community that when uh, in the war of 2013? And as we know that the war 2013 was fought between within Aspelem, Aspele, it was a power struggling in the within the government. And then one day, uh, Dr. Yamachar break away with his group, and that is is a government versus a rebel. Why? What? What is this? What is the cause of of a tribe uh, hatred among in the community? So, can you uh, as you are one? And there's another question I will ask you that. But let's uh, focus on this question because our people are suffering. Yes, majority population is suffering in South Sudan. But our people are divided. This is the reality. Our people are divided. Even the government now, even the election come 2024 or 2025, they still, the population will not go to vote. We have 1,000 million people in refugee scam, IDP, in the country. And a million are in our side. Uh, is what's it well? Like you and I in, in America. So, what brings this division among our community? This is what can be done. Look, bring... uh, my brother, I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves from where we are coming. Hmm. Uh, look, we find ourselves in Sudan. Sudan was imaginary concept, was not a real concept, it was the creation of the colonialists. They just draw a map. And then they say, this is Sudan. And all of these tribes who didn't ever really know themselves that they were in the same area found themselves in this thing called Sudan. And when we find ourselves in that thing, <clears throat> our first reaction as South Sudanese was to protect ourselves in it. And that was why our people were demanding this thing, federalism. But even when they were doing that, they among themselves have not really interacted among themselves. They were primarily motivated by opposition. Opposition to the domination of the North Sudanese. Opposition to the domination of Islam. That is what this was all about. And that always united them. But the question is, can they be united without opposing anything? And that is really the question that faces us as Junubin, because we have never been really united just for the sake of us together. Right. We have always been united 
so that we banned to oppose someone that was trying to dominate us. And during that process of uniting to protect ourselves or to fight for our rights, as it was the case during the SPLM-led liberation struggle, we did terrible things among ourselves, right? And we did each other serious harm. We remember very well the history. Uh, what happened uh, early on between John, those of John Garang and Perbino on one hand, and those of Gaitut and Akwadatim, which, and then Gaitut ended up being killed, and some of the things that happened there, uh, ways in which we abuse ourselves, uh, ways in which the SPLM conducted its business uh, using brute force, especially in the initial years. Uh, the 91 defection of Yekmachar with Lamakol. Mm. And what that created, you know, the, how it basically now turned this war on, you know, the war of Sudan to be a war of Dinka versus Nuer. Um, which a lot, a lot, a lot of people were killed. We committed a lot of atrocities among ourselves, right? Even when we, we say these 2 million people have died, a lot of those people were not killed by the northerners. They were killed by ourselves. Right. Sure. So then when we got our independence, we never had a chance to then really heal from all of this that has happened in the bush. And the SPLM then now did not now reorient itself to the agenda of governance. It still see itself as a revolutionary force, not as a political party that has to provide a vision and conduct the business of governance. And it never really prepared cadres, right? Mm -hmm. Because SPLM came into the government divided. We, 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 we seem to also forget the 2004 crisis, uh, the one of Ye that was later on resolved in Rumbek. That crisis was deep and has played in a slow motion for many, 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 many years. And it had consequences within the SPLM and how we approach governance, how we organize ourselves as we enter the government of South Sudan, the government of national unity, and also how we form the army, uh, the intelligence agencies, and the civil service uh, in, 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 in the government of South Sudan. Yeah. So. These things were part of the challenges that uh, we all face uh, around that time. And there was no chance to talk throughout. And then some of these characters began dying. Those of Polino Matip, they're gone. And then before you know it, we are in 2013 and we are all concerned about power and power within the ASPLM. And now in the state of like, discussion about healing all the hurt that we have done each other is turned now as opportunity for vengeance and then the revenge and the counter revenge and the counter revenge and people remain to be hurt so i think right now we have seen now the war has played out for so long uh we've seen that the splm has not brought that ideology and the agenda the minimal agenda around which the people of south sudan can unite 
Because if there is no agenda, there is no broader agenda that unites people. Hmm. The mind is a, is a terrible thing. It get bored, it get degraded, and before long, you will be discussing basic things that will end up creating conflict among the people and reinforcing divisions that already exist. So we are tribes. We are even nations within tribes that have to find a, a broader purpose for why we should exist as a nation. What is South Sudan? What does it mean? What is the idea of South Sudan? These are the discussion we need to have because if we don't have consensus on ideas of state, the ideas on which we're establishing this country, then it cannot possibly exist because we are always going to be rallied by what we find familiar, what find familiar to us, what we understand. And what we understand are the clan-based, tribal-based uh, lineage and identities that exist within our society, and which are very strong and because they've been developed for thousands and thousands of years. But like an identity like South Sudan is so new, it's brand. So we still don't understand it. And it is, it's not strong enough to stand on its own. So it requires like nurture and leadership, you know? So we have to accept that and we have to create that space for discussion. And I hope this is how the two years are used. That these two years are used as periods of discussion, of dialogue. Uh, because sometimes there are triggers and there are things that trigger a society that is ripe uh, for a change. And I hope our society will begin to engage instead of being afraid of accepting these challenges and turning them to opportunities for renewal and for growth. Then we'll be stuck. But if we are confident and forward-looking, then we will embrace these challenges and deal with them in ways that reinforce our unity. And through that search, we will find what it is that we are looking for. And that is, what is this nation we are trying to build? Right? What does it stand for? You know, so we have to be true to the ideals of the liberation struggle, that we wanted to bring about a better Sudan, a Sudan where citizens were united, were treated by the basis of their competence and their character, and not because of the identity. Like we go beyond identity and that and we embrace a one collective identity and that is of a one common South Sudan. If we do that, some of the technical challenges you mentioned, like census or whatever, or mm. bringing refugees, those things are easy to be addressed because they are technical, you know. But without us, first of all, understanding why it is that we are together and we are engaged in things that divide us, people are kicking themselves out in each other land. Like, this is our land. This is our territory. We don't want Dinka here. We don't want Nueri here. We don't want this and this here. We don't want Equatoria here. Well, then where are we going to go? And it's our country. So we have to identify that, that things that unite us and have, like, a program that we are working toward. You can't let people remain idle without a big agenda that encompasses the aspirations that require their talent and their hard work for them to contribute towards building. Then they will be motivated by their own things. And those things can easily tear the country apart. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Peter. You know, uh, you put it right. And this is where the problem lies on. Because when you see the country, uh, people are so divided. 
and uh, and and now we yes I get it uh, as parliament has been blamed because it's a ruling party government have to be blamed but now the war is stopped there's no more war like government uh, rebel and uh, even though there's a war across the country they're fighting uh, community or tribe to fight I, I see that but the big war like what happened in 2013 or 2016 is not there because the big uh, the one of them a uh, big purple movement, which is as IO, is now with the government. So this is where the problem lies on. When we divide it like this, based in our community, our tribe, and then we fighting about my land. Uh, I want. I don't want you there. I have to come to Europe to stay where where my uh, my place is. Go back to where you come from. You see, this is where we lost our identity, our our country. Of course, also don't belong to all of us because we support right class in the country. So this country is belong to all of us, and you have right to live wherever you go. But when we came to that point where we don't like one another, to live side by side, and this is where I never seen before when we fight, when uh, Aspelle fought with the Northern Arab, we were united in one common goal that, okay, we, uh, the, the Arab in the north treat us as second class citizen and they don't give us right to be a Sudanese. So we fought, we fought for our freedom, our equality. But when we got that independent, we got our own country, we got our own government, we got all the resources. So now the country that we fought for the last 21 years, we just throw into the train like that for the one single uh war in 2013. so um and this what i see here people the opposition and rebel are blaming the the government and uh the ruling party as well which is but we the citizen we having a part to play but also to we give that window to the government to play their role before we divide it when we united the government cannot defeat us as a citizen because government is for us we are there but we are divided that's why you see so within the opposition camp that they are because the opposition are the eye of the government but when the government not doing right okay i'm opposition you, you government you are not doing this that's why you see i say here every four years they are going for election and the democrat uh, republican they will go and then we'll see who is better and then the citizen come on and vote who do they think they will will do what they want the country to, to to go forward but that's not the case in our community that's not the case so within the opposition i divided themselves so everywhere now we're blaming the spLM uh the ruling government but we also who opposition they're playing a part of it so let me my next question is regarding about the failures of SPLM. What did SPLM fail? What did SPLM should do differently before? What if we wind the clock back in 1983 during our, that time? What will the SPLM do differently? Thank you. Well, the first thing the SPLM, we didn't really give the SPLM a chance, right? Like True. One, that was the, 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 the biggest uh, problem from when we came into power in 2000. And 
2005. And what happened is very simple. If we are going to be honest with each other, we just abandoned the party and we went back to the communities, right? Uh, and our president encouraged this, right? People come to see him as like low community or Zande community and so forth. So then there was no longer a need for SPLM because now people were, were selected based on ethnic balancing. And it was no longer based on like the political program and the agenda of the SPLM. So community leaders came to replace the secretary general of the party. And secretary general was basically redundant uh, because the chairmen of the communities became more important. They come to see the, the president, they complain, they do big celebration when their son is appointed, and then they thank the, the president. And when they when something happened, they complain as a community. So SPLM was abandoned. And now we as a Dinga community, we came now and coalesced around our son, Salva Kirmayadit. And we say he's our son. Uh, I don't think anyone disputes when people say the country has not been well run, because even Kir himself has said that. So if the country has not been run well, we, who has been running it? Is your son, uh, Salva Kir, who has been uh, running the country? And we have not been forthright with him to tell him, Yakir, if you want to remain in power, right? Because now he's in power because he's using the Dinga name and he's using the Dinga tribe to organize and mobilize forces to protect his power. We can be honest with him and tell him, if you want to do that, then at least run the country well. Don't mismanage the country and you want to remain there. That has not happened. So everybody has moved on their tribe. So then those who want to oppose, since there is no SPLM anymore, as a political force, everybody now moved to their tribes. And then they also go and organize and mobilize their own means of violence from their tribes to challenge Kir, who is now in their eyes, become a naked Dinka president, right? So in their eyes now, it become like, this is why you see the, the, the conflict easily becoming tribalized. It's because the uniting factor SPLM has been left idle, not functional. And then people move to the community to organize and to protect themselves. So what is needed now is to understand that yes, the country is divided. And if you're going to bring it together, you need a, you need a honest dialogue based on new principles. And people really have to heal from the conflict. And something bigger has to be built because South Sudan is not about one tribe. You know, South Sudan is not just about certain ethnic groups. It's about all of us. But it has to be also an idea, an idea that we can accomplish together, an idea that we can pursue together, right? That is the meaning of a nation. And we build our identity around it become our optimal, the, the, the primary identity for whom we are all proud, right? So this is the challenge that faces now. The question is, can that really be done within the SPLM? Or can that be done by another political party? Right? That is the challenge. And it all going to depend on individuals, right? Because in an environment where institutions do not exist, the quality of individuals matter. Right, so now when you come to talk about leadership, people in the opposition, for example, the question become, 
who are those leaders who are going to build that right do they have the credibility do they have the competence because it's about these two things is that the the credibility to be able to pursue an honest agenda around which the people can unite and the competence to actually guide it well so that it the ultimate objective of it is achieved so do those opposition leaders have that do the leaders in the SPLM have that? And who are these leaders? And this is the beauty of elections, by the way, because this is the beauty of it, because then we go to the citizens and we let the citizen decide who is the most competent and most credible to be able to implement a transformational agenda, right? Around which the people of South Sudan can unite. So the agenda is there. This is a, the, precisely what we need to do. The question is, is this really what those in the SPLM want to do? Is this really what the people in the SPLM IO want to do? Is this what the leaders in the diaspora need to do? But ultimately, it comes about through engagement among the people of South Sudan, because they are the ultimate custodian of this vision. And if they themselves own it, right, then it becomes it, it makes it easy now about it's being implemented. But it has to be intentional for us. We cannot take the nation for granted. We cannot take the notion that we have South Sudan for granted. This is what the non-Sudanese did, by the way. They took it for granted that they will always have a, a country called Sudan. Where will the Southerners go? No, we cannot do that. We have to intentionally work to make this country more united and more stronger so that its existence is elongated. It becomes longer and is sustained. But if we take it for granted, then it is easy for us to destroy it and it become a pariah, become isolated in the international systems. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a landlocked nation. It's not that difficult, by the way, to really make life difficult in South Sudan if it is intended right, by the rest of the world. So we also have to show responsibility and show that we can govern ourselves, that we can take care of our people that we don't become a burden on the world. We are always the one with the refugees that are being fed, you know, with IDPs that are running away, with people that are sick and they are starving. Like, no, we have to be the one that are contributing to the rest of the world. We are the one that are showing that there are people in South Sudan that are full of pride, that are full of hard work, uh, that care about international justice and, and rule of law and, and, and system of, uh, of, of, of international uh, support. That is who we are. We should be helping the rest of the world, not being so dependent on them. Thank you. Um, you know, um, yeah, uh, let me move to the next, you know, the, while we're staying on this topic about uh, the ruling uh, in the country. So um, what can we do uh, for uh, to heal as a South Sudanese, to make a road, uh, to, to, to make a way to the election 2024 or 25. What can we do now so that the South Sudanese can help themselves to come together as a one people? So we can see, okay, what happened in 2013, 2014, 2016, until now, we have to forgive one another. Let's come together as South Sudanese, let's heal ourselves. And then let us, uh, because if there's no forgiveness, there's no unity among our community, 
there will be no election in 2024 or 25 because we will escape the fight regardless but if we united and then come together and says okay we need to go to election to election and we'll see what happened in kenya um so if that if the unity and the here is not there and what i'm seeing it's not there so what can we do now so well, people people need to begin uh, people need to begin uh, engaging one another my brother hmm. now is the time for the leaders especially young young people especially those of us from the red army is the time really to engage uh with people across different communities you know because of the failure of the SPLM uh most of the organization that have come up now around which South Sudanese are organized are communal associations right right and these are based on tribal identities but these are the one that people really attend and they are the one that are capable of organizing large scale and massive events it shows that and it's one of the thing that we are seeing now politics is really being played within community and it is the way that it has been really uh, for the last 17 years so now people really have to begin engaging uh with communities other communities uh let them reach out to the acholi community uh, within dinga community people have to engage uh tony community gorial community twitch mayadit abiai uh rumbeg uh the gogarol kachual community the yurul community uh the bor community the twitch community the uh do community all these dinga community and the nuer community right with all the different groups within it uh low gawer you know jikany bull uh lake uh, all these other uh, groups within where they they really need to come together and when they and, and the same in equatoria like taposa uh, bari uh the uh the the lotuko the zande community all of these people because this is where people are organized they got to engage with one another and they begin to have serious discussion about what what kind of country do they want the elites of these communities have to lead this uh, engagement and people have to have a sincere discussion and look at the basis for which this country is established church leaders are an integral part of this discussion yeah. bishops they have to come in they 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 the spiritual leaders like uh, uh spear masters uh, uh religious leaders you know shamans and, and and all of these people they have to come in uh and they 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 have to talk what kind of country do we want to establish and build relationship uh try to have a, a bigger understanding and realize that what has gone in the past is gone we can always be looking backward whenever we have crisis the murule community all of these communities so you you can be like looking backward all the time you have to be looking forward and looking forward means what is it that is holding us back the, the way now imagine our country half of it is taken over by flood the other half if you go to eastern equatorial the taposa is drought there's no water here in the side of jongule we have too much water in apanai and the other side in equatorial there is no water can we not build a canal to take water from apanai to this side of Vuma in the Murule land all the way to Kapoita that will help with the management of the flood and at the same time it will give water to people who also need it who are now dying because of the, of the 
of thirst. Uh, we can do those, but it comes from like being intentionally willing to give this idea called South Sudan a chance. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, we, the Dinga community, have a bigger role to play in this. Because if we unite and we engage also with, uh, with Nuer, we engage with the Shuluk community, we engage with other tribes, then people will realize that there is something sincere we are driving. And we see nation as belonging to all of us, not just only to some of us, but to all of us. And uh, we, 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 we allow each one of us to contribute towards, toward building the nation and making sure that any South Sudanese can become whatever their talent has given them to become. You know, then everybody will, will rally behind that, that, that idea, but we have to be willing. And those of us in the diaspora really carry enormous responsibility. You reach out, you engage, let's talk. Uh -huh. Within the SPLM also, this discussion is important. Outside of the SPLM, this discussion is important, but we have to involve communities in it. We cannot say communities here are separate on their own. And then we go one by one and we say, there is a politic, we are going to engage. Well, now when we go and fight in the, in the politic there, we come now and arm our communities and we let them kill themselves. So we have to also involve communities in the process of building this bigger idea. And all of us, chiefs, women, youth leaders, politicians, we have to engage in it. Uh, because if we don't, then we would have confirmed what our enemies were telling the rest of the world, that these people cannot govern themselves. We will now be saying, look, since independence is 13 years, is how many years? These people, they cannot even organize one election, even if it is a bad election. Can we not organize election, really? We have to be able to organize election. So let's come up with like a minimum agenda around which we can work. Uh, and all of us, whether those in the government or wherever, we want to be able to empower our people to vote and choose their own leaders. We should be able to agree on something, regardless of where we stand. And empowering our people to be able to vote is one of the ways in which we can redeem, we begin to redeem the image of South Sudan and show that we are worthy to be called a nation and have our flag flown like all the other flags of the world. Thank you. You know, um, uh, like 20 years ago, or 21 years ago, when we came here in the United States, 2001, uh, we came and then we start go to the churches, uh, talk to our senators, Called the White House by that uh, former president, George uh, W. Bush, who was the president at that time. So we read out anywhere, everywhere we can. In school, high school that we go to, we speak the student, we speak, we speak to the teacher, we speak to the churches, anywhere we spread spread the word, tell American people what happening in Sudan. So our story just went to the America. We educate American people and the government. So by then, uh, uh, before 9-11 happened, you see, some Americans, they don't believe the story that we are telling them. But when the 9-11 happened, we say, you see, that's what we have been telling you. And then our story has been heard. And that's what lead into 9-11, July 2011 independent, separated. America 100% stand with us so that people of South Sudan can go out and vote. 
So that today, as we speak, uh, that thing is not there no more. Even though we are going out, we speak, oh, this water, nobody believe us because they see what's going on in the country. And as here, we are not confident among ourselves. We, but if you can see in South Sudanese community in the Aspra year, uh, Dinka, they're doing their own, uh, Nwer or, or uh, Equatorial, they're doing their own. There's no that bring us together. But before that, we know when we, when Hansen's group of the last boy, when we came here, every Sunday, when there is a celebration of nine, uh, our birthday, one one, or if there is, uh, we do have a choice service on Sunday. If there is any birthday party going on, everybody's coming, even non-lost boys, they come together. And then we sit down and talk and have that dialogue. And that's not that no more. So we, the Aspra, we, we, ha we have a, a, a big uh, negative that we are playing in the country. And we need to come together to, to, to heal and to, to stop uh, division among our community and among ourselves. If we united the way that we used to, um, people back home will be because we are the eye and, the, and we are the vision there. So, but that's not the case that we're going on. We hope calling for that unity to come together. Um, so just on that point, my brother, I yeah. have an idea. Yeah, you know, the, the thing is, we used to support each other back then and we mm -hmm. rallied to help each other. If one of us come up with an idea, we we'll rally behind it. Now we don't do that anymore. And it's one of the things that has weakened us. Um, but we should not give up. We should always be willing to try and keep on trying. And what I want to say is uh, there are efforts underway uh, for some of us to call each other once more, to really have a dialogue, uh, especially here in the United States. Uh, sometime next year, uh, good two to three days we come together in some place and we have a serious workshop about where the country should be going and our responsibilities as South Sudanese intellectuals in the West, primarily those in the United States. And we engage also our people back home. Uh, we bring our people back home. We involve our people in Australia. We involve our people in Canada, our people in Europe, and our people in East Africa and those in the Middle East. And we do a conference, you know, because the problem is no one is even trying anymore. People have pretty much given up. Uh, we can't be giving up. We have to keep trying. And we come up now with an agenda, minimum agenda, to get the country towards election. And some of us who are in the good books with the government, because, you know, some of us now, we are, we are in very bad books with the regime in Juba. There is nothing we can say that can make them happy. But maybe there are some people that are happy, that they are happy with. We involve those people, let them come, and we develop an agenda, minimum agenda that can be done to get us toward elections. Then we divide the agenda, what needs to be implemented by those in Juba. And they can convince the regime in Juba to implement that part. And we see what needs support from outside, what can be done by the West, primarily United States, United Kingdom, Norway, and some of our country, the countries where we come from, like Australian government. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure Australian government can contribute money if the members of South Sudanese diaspora in Australia come to the Australian government and say, this is 
the minimum agenda that we want to be implemented to move the country toward election. Uh, we'd can certainly in, in, uh, convince all these countries. And we can do the same thing again. We can divide up. Now we have even a deep understanding of the, how the American system works and direct access to some of these individuals. So we just organize a meeting. We show the, the agenda. But the thing is, it has to be a credible agenda. It has to be an agenda that is doable. And it has to be agenda that people in Juba will not be able to run away from, that we will be committed to it, right? There has to be a commitment to a democratic transition. Uh, this is the time that the country need to move forward. Uh, when I use the term generational exit, mm. very mad with me, and they didn't want to accept. Uh, but it doesn't matter what you call it. If you want to call it generational exit, you want to call it whatever, it doesn't matter. But there has to be a democratic transition. And we have to begin being serious about laying the foundation of this state that we call South Sudan and begin to deliver for our people. We begin to exert our stance on the world state. Uh, I'm very proud, by the way, of the work that the South Sudanese basketball team has been able to do because they are claiming that space for us and showing that there are people here that exist. And it's the same thing that we have to do. We have to be a, a positive contributors to the, the global norm of collective security. Uh, we have to show responsibility uh, that we are able to uh, empirically uh, claim the sovereignty of South Sudan. Thank you. Uh, my next, yes, you're, you're right. Yeah, my next question, you know, a couple of days ago, uh, the SPLM Beru took a decision uh, that they uh, dismissed Dr. Yang Machar and General uh, Paganamon from uh, Aspelem Party because they have the uh, General uh, Paganamon have his own party called Real Aspelem, and Dr. Yang Machar as a first vice president of Club South Sudan, he had his own political party called Aspelem I.O. And have you? We all know that these two, uh, these two uh, generals, uh, they are. A member of Aspelem, Aspela, during the Arca. Um What is? What do you think? What's your intake? This uh, did uh, uh, Aspelem political bureau who is acting uh, acting uh, general secretary uh, Peter Lambot did they took a right decision to move the uh, dismiss Tatoria uh, and General Pagat from the party. I think for the case of Dr. Riak, I think Dr. Riak has pretty much made it clear that he's going to build his own party. I think that one is very clear. Uh, he's the head of it. Um, uh, he pretty much wants to run uh, in the next election, maybe to have his own ticket that he will be heading uh, to run for the presidency of South Sudan. And he feels like if he remain in the SPLM, uh, he may not be the candidate. So for him, that, that, that has become clear. Uh, Pagan, on the other hand, uh, I thought that when part of the non-signatory group mm -hmm. negotiating with the government uh, in Rome under the leadership of Santo and Gidio, um, uh, it's not very clear what is the outcome of those talks. Um, I, I am aware that they had a, a discussion with the Troika ambassadors and special envoys a few weeks ago in Rome uh, to talk about a need for 
some kind of like a, a summit, which I think would be a very good idea if it happened, because there need to be a dialogue uh, between the government, opposition groups, and civil society, and all the different stakeholders uh, to really look about look at this minimum agenda uh, that can be developed and to bring people around it. Uh, I think this can be done easily uh, with these groups. But when it comes to a party and forming a party, I believe if those in Juba feel like they want to move forward with the SPLM, and that is what they are trying to accomplish, um, they have every right to do that. But the thing is they have to operate according to their own constitution. Uh, I'm not very sure if the constitution of the SPLM was followed. I know that the Secretary General of the SPLM is supposed to be dismissed by the Liberation Council. Uh, I don't think it can be dismissed by political bureau. Uh, but from what I understand, it was a political bureau that met. Uh, but of course, if this is done under the auspices of the Arusha, then you will have to look at the mechanisms that the Arusha agreement set up and how dismissal of membership uh, is done. Obviously, this is political. And I think uh, those within the SPLM want to move forward. For me, by the way, I find it as a good thing because part of the problem of why the democratic space in the country is so limited was that all of us had always coalesced in one big thing. And that always allowed for a dictatorship to emerge. Uh, but when there are multiple parties and people engaging, like the decision that the presidency issued for the governors to allow space for different parties to uh, interact and to uh, campaign and to reach out for membership, I think that is ultimately healthy for democracy because we have to uh, encourage uh, competition of ideas is the only way in which we can build uh, a viable, exciting democratic future. We all enjoy watching the elections in Kenya and it's because of so many parties and the uh, opportunity for making alliances among different parties. That's one of the things that made the Kenyan elections to be quite exciting. So for me, I believe that like, this is good. Uh, Riyad now has to build his own party. And if there is indeed a minimal agenda that can be implemented toward elections, then there has to be a way also for those who are outside to come back to the country and to participate, people like Pagan, and it will become clear what they decide. And most likely, if they establish their own parties, then they can also compete and come to the people of South Sudan and sell their vision. Thank you. I uh, heard you, one of member of the uh, Red Army, Jajamero. Uh, you know, one of uh, our, colleague, our colleague, uh Anthony Mokachi, he was well known as a goalkeeper when he was in Kapuma. And he lost. Everybody know that uh, all the German know that Mukwaiti died. So in Kakuma, for uh, 27 years, Mukwaiti, Anthony Mukwaiti was missing. But uh, last month, he was found. One of the Kenyan hosting Mukwaiti for the last 27 years in Mabasa, somewhere in Mabasa. So, um, and this was the real move. People know Mukwaiti uh, during the Bush time, they were moved and happy to see Mukwaiti alive. 
So what is your, uh, as a, one of the Red Army, uh, what what testimony can you give about Mokwaji? Thank you. Well, Mokwaji was, uh, was much older than uh, some of us. Uh, uh, I know Mokwaji, by the way, from the time when we were in Panyadu. Uh, he was a great sportsman uh, for Panyadu. He was a top goalkeeper in the whole camp. But he was also one of those really gifted uh, sportsmen. Uh, he could play in any position. And he could play in many different sports, uh, not just only football, but also volleyball uh, and many other different sports. Uh, he was in martial arts, uh, uh, just well-rounded guy, extremely charismatic. Uh, all the Red Army people used to be behind him and extremely proud of him. Uh, I remember when uh, we used to have like friendly matches with people of Dima. They would come to Panyadu and they play with us. There would be competitions on sports and music. Uh, there would be all kinds of activities that would be organized. And it was always great things to showcase all the different talent uh, that the country had. And Mokwaichi was always among the most celebrated in this event. I remember even when we came all the way to Takuma, and he, he, he was always surrounded by a lot of young people and he groomed so many people uh, in his sports. Uh, he trained a lot of goalkeepers, uh, mentored a lot of people uh, in football. When the league in Kakuma across the groups were established, Mukwaji was one of the people uh, that worked closely with Redabana uh, to uh, ensure that these leagues used to happen. Uh, there was some support that the Red Abana used to provide to rem members of the Red Army uh, who were engaged in these sports activities. So someone that was extremely amazing. And then he disappeared. Mm. He just literally just disappeared. He went from Gakuma to go and play uh, for some team. And then he just disappeared. And you know, back then it was very difficult to confirm uh, any information about what happened. Uh, all we, we used to hear is that he has gone to South Africa. Uh, some said he's died. You know, it was never clear really what happened to him. And everybody was busy, of course, with their own lives. So people move on. Uh, so uh, when he was found, it was I was really, really shocked. And it was exciting to to learn that Anthony McQuaid was alive. But man, uh, seeing the condition that he was in, you know, I was just blown away. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just showed how much what we went through, through during the war has really taken toll. You know, sometimes when we see people talking crazy on Facebook, we want to rush and blame them. Mm -hmm. You don't really understand what these people have gone through. They have gone through a lot. And, and we have never had uh, counseling, yeah? psychological healing. None of that has happened. And the, 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 the struggle has been so long and so painful. It has consumed everything uh, in us. People feel like they are tired and they are left with nothing. And even Makwaj, maybe, maybe he was preparing to, 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 to come after 2011, yeah? maybe to show himself. But then maybe, and then you people started war again in 2013, and then it was like, holy, what, 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 what are we going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked him the other day, I say, okay, for the, for the last 27 years, a lot of yeah. people have been in South Sudan. South Sudan yeah. become independent, you don't even know about it. So Sudan got their own flag, you know, they know about it. 
when they brought yeah. him in Kenya, you see, he was holding the flag for the first time that he doesn't even know where what's going on in the country. Imagine. Um, yeah. Imagine. Yeah, this is this is the toll, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not easy, you know, not easy. And, and you know, Panchol Denga Jang, he used to sing uh, this uh, song uh, that he used to sing during the war. One of his songs, uh, Edwin Panda Higa Gurbal, I ruin a port by. I keep on the thermo in Kinapuri. When the when in, the, in those 1990s after the react has defected that time around 95 when Makwaitu went missing, yeah, this was at the height of the, the the low point of the of the struggle. Yeah, everybody you know? said that spell is done, and they will even send people to Kakuma Yomdak to come and tell people, yeah, you people, uh, you have to come and fight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember one of the night, one of the night they they come with <laughs> a big pickup truck way yeah. behind the. Uh, the Jebel, the Jebel, uh, they are forward going to Lokosukuyo. Yeah. So people, Jidame will go at night. So yes. that pick up people. I went yeah. there, the people that, but they killed me with because I was very young by that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, but exactly. And this is the thing now. When, yeah, when people of Red Army, when they, when they, when they, when they feel upset with the way the country has been run, mm -hmm. it's because of all this sacrifice, all these colleagues that have died. People have really put everything. Uh, to liberate this country and for it to turn into a complete basket case is just completely unacceptable. Yeah. And you see how joyful when the old Germans see Mukwaiz alive and they bring him to Nairobi, all the Germans were there in Nairobi. They came up together singing a song when they used to sing in in uh, in the uh, in the group Germany. Yeah. 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 It was really moving. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a sign. It's a sign of things to come, my brother. Like the whole circle now is coming back due to coming back complete circle. Now we have come back to realize all these things we were saying was the only way to go about. There is a need for a transformation uh, of the party of the SPLM, the need for a transformation of the South Sudanese politics. You know, generational exit is inevitable. You have to like allow a different generation to lead the country forward. Uh, otherwise, you know, the country would disintegrate. It is basically that it has reached to that level now. And our president has to finally show leadership. Uh, he has to show leadership. This is bigger than every one of us. It's not about one individual. It's about the society and about the people. And we have to remember that these people have suffered. And we cannot continue to, to demand too much of them. We have sucked everything away from our people. You know, uh, it's time that we take pity on them and we give the power back to them and let them decide how they want to move forward. Thank you. So while we are talking about the Red Army, um, you know, um, as I know, Iba, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Wonderful the time you were one of the chairman, you are a former chairman of Red Army Foundation, right? Yes. Uh, before uh, Comrade Dengbo took over. Uh, Dengbo has been, after he took, uh, Dengbo took from you, uh, from the chairmanship from you, for all these past years, he was the chairman. So yesterday, uh, the Red Army uh, Foundation and, uh, the, uh, and the member, they came yesterday and appointing the new chairman. 
they elected a new chairman yesterday. And Kamri uh, Dengbol, according to his post on his Facebook wall last week, he resigned and he's in Juba right now and also to form uh, a political party called uh, NDA, which is backed up by, uh, by Red Army and the uh, youth of South Sudan. What has a former chairman of uh, Red Army Foundation? What's going on right now in the foundation with, uh, between the Red Army? Things are not going well, well. Even the Red Army, uh, as well as Red Army League chairman, uh, and then both, they are, they are not in good terms. And I um, think they are not, uh, they've been having a lot of this crisis with him. And uh, the Red Army are so confused. Red Army in Diaspora, Red Army back home. And even Diaspora took the decision that you guys need to solve your own crisis. Aspelem League, Aspelem Red Army League, and Aspelem Foundation. They've been kicked out from Aspelem. They said, you guys need to solve your crisis. So as a former chairman, what is going on with this uh, these two uh, organizations? Uh, foundation, and also, what do you think uh, about the Kamredengbol uh, form his own political party called uh, NDA? Thank you. Well, first of all, uh, we have freedom of speech in South Sudan, uh, at least in books. We pretend that it is there in book. Uh, Sometimes in practice, this is questionable, but uh, I believe that Kamredengbol has every right. Uh, to form his own party. Uh, he's not the first person to defect from the SPLM. A lot of people did. Uh, and they always done it in a violent way. And Dengbul here is showing that if you disagree with the party that you used to be part of it, you can leave peacefully. And then you, you can always go and find a different vehicle around which you can campaign for your ideas. And that's what he has done with his supporters. Uh, they have formed the National uh, Democratic Alliance as an alternative party to the SPLM and to the other parties in South Sudan. <clears throat> that one is his right, he's entitled to it. Uh, whether there are individuals from the Red Army Foundation that have joined him, uh, it is an individual issue. Every individual has a right to determine uh, what party they join. When those individuals uh, initially decided to join the SPLM. Uh, we did not say, why did you join the SPLM? We welcomed them because it was their own right to decide to do that. And the same thing now, if they decide that there is a different party that they are joining, then they have the right uh, to join that party. So we should be able to understand that. But there is one thing we should be clear. Red Army, as people, has become an identity. Right? It's an identity that is just as strong as uh, having been a member of the SPLA, SPLM. It's a war identity. It's an identity that is as strong as our own tribes. Because for us, it was turned into one. It became one that we see so as wholly representative of us. Uh, I always believe that members of Red Army would always be in different parties. Uh, when the war broke out in 2013, we had members of Red Army that joined SPLMIO. And some of these Red Army members will never come back again uh, to join the SPLM. They will always be 
part and parcel of whatever party that they have joined. And there are people that are in the SPLM. And now we have people that have joined the National Democratic Alliance. Uh, those things are going to happen. But for me, all these years, I have been fighting for a transformation within the SPLM. This is the reason why I founded the Red Army Foundation. I've, we created the Red Army Foundation. Uh, the ideas for it started in 2010. Uh, there was an organization that existed in Juba, and it was led by some of our brothers who are older, uh, the generation that went to Cuba. Mm. These were the groups that were existing on the ground. So at the time, I was working at the World Bank, and <clears throat> there was a lot of our colleagues from Panyadu <clears throat> that also wanted to have a membership. But the one of Cuba was so small and was not inclusive of all of us. And there were reasons why we wanted to do that, because we saw the role that we were supposed to play in the Red Army League, I mean, in the SPLM Youth League, was being denied to us by some individuals. And this was the time that some of us began to raise the alarm that this SPLM party of ours is going to be taken away from us. You served by people who were not part of it. And the only way we could do that was to mobilize the Red Army and organize them so that they are the vibrant wing of the SPLM Veteran uh, League. Uh, that was the idea behind it at the time. Hmm. And we involved the, the people of Panyadu. And there was then also the group from Gimo. Then there was the group from Polotaka and all of these groups. So for a whole year, I was mediating between all these groups to bring them together under one leadership so that all of us are in one group instead of being in so many different factions. And it took a long time, and I finally managed to achieve that around the time of independence. And all of our, I'm grateful, by the way, to all of our commanders, uh, leadership of the SPLM, everybody that helped. Uh, it was not an easy task. SPLM play a big role in it, by the way. Mm. And the SPLA headquarters also play a very big role. Uh, and when we accomplished that, there was a sense of excitement that we can then revitalize the party. But there was a feeling from the party of us being seen as something else. And there were people that were really fighting very hard to prevent us from breaking in into the inner circles of leadership, uh, even in different committees. Because at that time, I used to be invited to participate in a lot of SPLM activities, uh, the secretariat and, and so forth. Um, now, when we organized election, uh, when I was, because there was a lot of things that were said to me when I was uh, bringing the Red Army together. And I felt at that time that I should show that this, something, this is something bigger than me. I did not do it for me. I did not do it to pursue some power. And there were people that were already telling President Keir, look, this boy is organizing the Red Army. He want to break away and build his own party, you know, and the time also I was in the national security, so there was like a there was a, a misunderstanding of my of the role that I was playing. But I wanted to show that we can practice democracy even within our own structures. And within the Red Army, I felt what was important was to show that we can respect our constitution, our own law, and we are able to do things by the books. And that's why we managed to make sure that those elections, the first election where Dengboy were elected were organized according to the constitution. 
And we did them within the time frame that the constitution said. And I had the power to dangle peacefully, mm. expecting that we'll also respect the institution as something bigger than him. And we know over the last several years, there has never been any election that Dengbol has organized. Uh, and many of the members of the Red Army now are finally hearing about him leaving to, to go and create his own party. But the fundamental issue is this. There was the mission of the Red Army that was given to us, which was that we were the seeds for South Sudan. We are the seeds of the nation. That we need to be able to take the country to the next level. The question is, this mission of transformation, is it going to be done within the SPLM? Will it, be, will it be done outside of the SPLM? What is the way forward? And what is the nature of our relationship today as we speak with the SPLM, with the mother SPLM? Many of you know, although I've had differences with the government, President Kier himself, I have not one day formed a political party. I've done everything I've done on my own name or through civil society organization, but not a form of a political party. But this discussion is important discussion that Deng Bull has started. Mm. Not leave it to him alone. It's a discussion that should, should involve all of us. Uh, the country need to be rescued. The country need to be transformed. The question is, will it be in the SPLM or, <coughs> or outside the SPLM? Yeah, so, so that is what needs to happen. So Dengbol, I congratulate him on his party. I don't think any one of us should be trying to vilify him, but we should be having a discussion as members of the Red Army uh, and as members of South Sudan. Because let's also not forget, Red Army is an important event, but it's also not inclusive because there were many other South Sudanese that were not part of the Red Army. So how do we open it up and allow others also to become part of it? so that South Sudanese do not see themselves as being excluded uh, from the Red Army. Yeah, thank you. As you mentioned, you know, you mentioned before that Red Army was based on, we were a uh, core seat of the nation because when the JM was take to Ethiopia, some of us went to school, some of us went to the, uh, uh, to, to, to Medan for training, then go fight with the go to the Maria then fought, fight with the with the enemy. So we are the seed of the nation at the time. So and 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 the mission uh, the vision that uh, the late leader Dr. John Grang said that the Red Army are the are the seed of the nation is because when we finish and we grow up and we and you see many of us here including you yourself and you are now you have your PhD and many of the government they well. Uh, they were off. They they were their own uh, their own family. They have education. They they good to go. But that's PLM. That vision that they say that the Red Army are the seed of the nation. So the Red Army now they are capable enough to lead the country, South Sudan. But that's PLM as a mother of the party didn't give the seed of nation a chance. To give because the, the the mission of SPLM, you can correct me, am I wrong? At the time during the war, they know that uh, late Dr. Dr. Uh, John Grang and current president 
General Salva Kirmayadi, and the other Asperian uh, leaders. The, the goal was they will fight when they achieve the independence Okay, the new generation, like I spell uh, Red Army, they will take over. But that's not the case. So now, I spell uh, the Red Army now, they say, okay, we are here. They create, oh, we, yeah, we are here. We are, we are now uh, ready. Can we give us a chance? No. And this is where it comes in. The division that among within Aspelem. It's within uh, the Red Army too. And as you see, the Red Army are not uh, the youth that Red Army used to be when we were there. Uh, in the group of the Yamer, we were together. But that's not the case. People are divided based on political background. Some join IO, some join other political party. Um, and this is what is going now. There are uh, there some of the Yamer who they will go with the uh with the with the Dengbol party, and some are still there. So this foundation that you were the one who founded at the time, did the foundation did achieve the vision that it's supposed to do uh, to uh, to the Red Army community? No. Look, the foundation has had a lot of challenges since I, I founded it. Uh, Dengbol took over and he's the one that has been leading it really since 2012. Uh, that is for the last 10 years. And uh, although I have been, I have attended some events, in fact, when I was arrested, I was going to attend a rally that was partly being organized by the foundation. <clears throat> um, so I have participated, but I have not been in the decision making of the of the foundation. But what is clear is this: Look, I think there is now a, a deep understanding in the among the members of the Red Army that what we some of us were talking about was not just for ourselves. Uh, when I was going around and talking about generational exit, uh, some people thought that I was just blowing my own horn. But I was trying to remind the members of the Red Army of the mission that was given to us, that the leaders of the SPLM, I'm not just going to hand them the keys without any effort on their part. Uh, power is not given, uh, just hand it over. You at least have to organize to be able to demand it and in our case, we have not been able to organize. Uh, and if we want to be able to take it from our leaders in the SPLM, we have to organize. Uh, in terms of numbers, we have the numbers. There's no doubt about it. So if we organize, we can nominate our own people as delegates for convention, for all of the, all the activities. And if there are elections today, we can field candidates in a scale that has never been seen before, who will be elected at the grassroots in different regions of South Sudan. So we have that capacity. And it's one of the reasons why I've been demanding elections. Uh, creating parties in vacuum without elections, without a timeline toward elections, is not very helpful at the, at, at the moment. It doesn't achieve anything. And it only creates insecurities uh, with some of the groups that we are dealing with, especially the ones that now have the power. So for me, the focus should be the minimum agenda that is needed for election. And even someone like me who has had differences with this government, if they truly come up with a minimum agenda that they are willing to implement, 
and that is credible. I will help them to achieve that agenda. I will talk to some people, although things may be difficult, we can make them understand why such agenda need to be supported. Right? But it has to be an agenda that makes sense and is geared toward elections. Hmm. Now when that agenda is implemented and the days for elections are announced, this is where now people can be free to organize politically in terms of parties, because now we'll be entering the campaign. And this is where the discussion when in the SPLM will reach the pitch level, whether SPLM will accept transformation and be radically transformed as a party, or whether it has to be pushed aside and replaced by something entirely new. This is where that thing will be determined. So right now where my efforts are is uh, to sit down with everybody and build a minimum agenda, a common agenda, common purpose towards elections so that we can really have a democratic transition. Is the only way to complete the SPLM mission. It is incomplete when we have taken power we have run the country for the last 11 years and our people have not been able to vote and elect their own leaders. It makes mockery of our struggle for democracy and for justice and for inclusivity. Uh, thank you. If uh, if Dengbol and other Red Army join the new political party and the uh, will you call your leader for Peter Bayerajab join us? Will you pick that phone up and join them? No. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not. I need to reflect right now. And joining any political party is not a priority. Uh, right now, the priority, as I mentioned to you, is a minimum agenda toward the election. That is the most important thing. And ultimately, we are building a nation. We are uniting all these tribes, all these people that live together as different groups, all these people that have been wounded by the war, we are uniting them. And to do that, we need to create like a forum, multiple forums for discussion. And I feel like the work that I'm doing now uh, in the civil society space, not being identified with uh, some of these groups, uh, allow me to have a unique voice, uh, not just only within the country, but also externally and with the external partners. Uh, and for me, what I care about is providing guidance for this country to establish institutions that will allow it to begin to realize its rightful place among community of nations. Um, and I don't think I can do that effectively now, joining any of these parties. I think it can be done effectively, inviting the rest of the parties <coughs> and opposition groups, civil society groups, to agree on a minimum agenda that we can implement both on the ground in South Sudan, as well as secure the support of important partners around the world to be able to bring uh, enduring democracy to our country. Thank you. As you know, Dr. Pinter, uh, South Sudan is facing a lot of challenges. And one of the challenges is uh, flooding. Part of the country is flooding right now. Um, Last month or a couple of months ago, a few months ago, 
there was a debating or uh, campaign in social media in Cuba about dredging. So we see, and I hope you see, you all see that the Egyptian brought in the big equipment in the country without knowledge of the government has declared, uh, and they won't dredge the rivers. And also part of the debate was about the Black Canal. Um, and the reason why the, uh, the Egyptian brought in the country to do the dredging was because of flooding. And, and you see how the citizens of South Sudan came out overwhelmingly a force opposing the dredging of the river. And we know what will be happening if the Egyptians do that. And uh, one of the some is Jungle Kanai. They want to resume resumption of Jungle Kanai, which is, uh, we don't want to see that. So now when the country, when the people came out and they say no to dredging, and then the president self here hear the citizen and they stop the dredging and say, well, let's bring in some of uh, people that know how what is another debate the debate for like almost a week or so in Cuba University. So now that thing was put suspended, but now like last week or so, the the council ministries come up and they approve that the cleaning. They now they call cleaning the river. Um, so what is your uh, intake on this? Do you, now they are saying that they are cleaning me, but they know they come up with this name. So they, they, they change the name, they don't call it dredging. So what, uh, what is the difference between dredging and cleaning the river? So, and what do you think about uh, on this? Is it a good idea for, uh, for the country, for the river uh, to be dredging or to be clean and the, it will stop the flooding in the country? So thank you. Look, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm really concerned about uh, how this issue is coming back and the ways in which it is coming back. <clears throat> First of all, when they announced it, they said that they were going to clear a specific river at a specific point. They were looking at Bargaza River. They were looking at a particular area of it that needed some of the clearing to allow the normal movement of water uh, to continue. Uh, which, if that was the intention, then it was, it was not a big deal. But then there was also a contradiction in the release, and that was that they were going to be cleaning all the rivers. Now, all the rivers now, this is touching on everything. Experts are now talking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are individuals that will talk about it in the next few days. All of this thing will become clear. But it looks to me like a short-term way of bringing back dredging. And as I mentioned to you before, um, Egypt has been pressuring our government at the very highest levels to uh, uh, increase the water that is coming to Egypt. Jongole uh, Canal has been there for a very long time. They always bring it back. And now our government is vulnerable. Uh, financially, they are very vulnerable. Oil has been sold five years in advance, as you know, at a price of 40. Now it's 105, but we sold ours already at price of 40. We don't have money. Uh, they have already been selling gold, and the money is, is used and looted. 
they have already sold some of the birds to Russia, land to Emirates and all of these places. And they're running out of things to sell. And one of the things that was available was this water uh, to Egypt because we now know that the, uh, the, 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 the Ethiopian dam is operating and the water has been going there and the water going to Egypt has reduced by a lot. So they've been coming up with very funny, funny ways uh, to block the natural flows of water uh, using the dams, the, the Aswan I Dam and getting the Sudanese also to help them through the Marawi Dam, uh, artificially making it difficult for the water to, to go so that we become fed up with these problem of floods and dredge our, our rivers. Then now the water will be flowing uh, and we will have difficulties keeping water in our area. And as I mentioned to you before, part of the Eastern Equatoria is already now desert. And uh, this water that Egypt thing is being wasted through evaporation is what end up coming back to us as rain. And without that rainfall, then the tropical land that we have in most of uh, Equatoria and Barcazal and parts of Upper Nile uh, will be lost. Uh, and this will have a irrevocable impact on our climate, our agriculture, our livelihoods, on our fish. Um, so what we need is a long-term solution because we have to accept that issue of flood is there. And without addressing it, our people will always be displaced. And we cannot build a long-term economy. We cannot build wealth with people being seasonally displaced by flood. So we need to, a long-term solution. But when we think about this solution, <clears throat> it should not just be about flood. But we think about flood in the context of the new reality we are in, dealing with the threat of climate change on the one hand, and dealing with drought in certain parts of Equatoria. So how do we build like canal that will take water where it is in abundance, where it is scarce, while keeping it within our own territory? Keeping it in within our own territory. Because what that will do is it will increase the number of acres of land that we can grow through irrigation, right? And agriculture is going to be the future. The continent of Africa is going to be the homeland of 40% of the population of Earth by the year 2100. 40% of the human wealth will be based in the continent of Africa. Uh, if we focus on agriculture and we build like intricate irrigation and canal systems. Then we can be able to grow food throughout the year because we don't have winter. Yeah. We're growing throughout the year and we can even rival Ukraine very easily. Um, and it's something that we can do easily. Uh, we just need to think about the right kind of infrastructure project. The problem now is South Sudan has become a prior globally because of our corruption, human rights violations, and all the way the mismanagement that has happened under the, the current government. 
And we need to repair those relations. This is why now we need a minimum agenda that we can all implement so that we have a transition, so that we repair the relation with the rest of the world. And there are funds. Uh, there are venture capitalist funds. There are funds that have been established where we can go and get money uh, to be able to build these massive projects uh, that may be worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, mm. but we'll be able to generate revenue uh, unstoppable for the next hundreds and hundreds of years. The same way big infrastructure projects like the Suez Canal have been trans transformational for countries like Egypt. Uh, we can build something like that in South Sudan, and we can deal with the issue of flood and the issue of climate change. But we cannot do it uh, if we are looking at things from a short-term perspective and looking at keeping a particular individual in power uh, and serving a foreign interest, uh, like the Egyptian interest. Why, why do you need Egyptian to keep you in power? The Nubian can keep you in power. Uh, you just need to uh, do what they want. You need to help them. You need to transform their country. Uh, so we really need to be very careful about the influence of Egypt in our society. And president has to be very careful about what is going on because our people have made it very clear last time. We are not going to accept the water to go to Egypt. So if this is a dredging by another way, then somebody somewhere is misleading somebody. And people of South Sudan are very serious. This is not something that we are going to allow. Thank you. Um, yeah, we have uh, 10 minutes. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for answering that question. Anyway, um, uh, the, my last question, you know, um, as you know, um, you know, uh, I watch a lot of uh, uh, in social media, and I see some of uh, citizens of uh, of uh, of board and preach community. They've been uh, having this uh, debate in social media, and uh, and the name become a big issues uh, about uh, tweet <coughs> and board. And this thing we see has a, as a uh, other part of uh, I'm from Yeru from Marcazal, and we see this is not healthy for the community. So, what is uh, as you are one of the, uh, those community, what can you tell to the member of your community that will stop this negative campaign? Because we are the guy of the world, we are all one people. So, and what they are doing about the name is not uh, a good health for the for the community. So what, what advice can you give to them about the well, thank, you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Madid Majak. And I'm glad that you have been observing yeah. uh, some of this discussion. Uh, it's not just only, by the way, the Dinka uh, in Jongule, the Dinka in Bor, the Dinka in Twitch, all these groups. Uh, this is not really the only part of the country where we are having this discussion. Uh, really, uh, us in Dinka community, uh, we have been having a lot of problems, pretty much in every state. You know very well your own people in Rumbek uh, and the people in, uh, in Europe we went through some of these crises uh, in the past. And we know now Dinka in Twijmayadit and Dinka in Abia are going through this crisis. Um, what I said before, my brother, is true. Um, the war we went through for 21 years was very long. Uh, and 
we don't blame people like Abraham, uh, my brother, like uh, Makwaj Makwaj, Anthony Makwaj, uh, who was uh, gone for 27, 27 years. Uh, this world was very tough, psychologically, physically, on people. And uh, particularly also on the people of what was called then the greater board. Uh, it was not easy uh, to bear that responsibility. And, you know, the war also with the challenges that came with it, with the 91 defection of Riyak Machad, uh, that community became the target uh, in many different ways. And people suffered. And when we came back in the bush, uh, our elders, <clears throat> they never really called themselves to go through all those challenges that we went through uh, in the bush. Uh, and then uh, other things began to add on it. Uh, things add on it, grievances that were already there and the wounds that were there, more wounds were added into it, insults, uh, elders, people are like abusing and insulting el elders. Um, uh, this has been happening. Songs being composed against elders. Uh, elders that are, you know, old people that have retired. If you, if you see people like Abel Alier, for example, you know, who have never been involved in any kind of division uh, among the people. But then now people composing songs. Um, so other challenges, new challenges like technology, like what we are dealing with now on Facebook, came in. And people where somebody can just drink their own alcohol and they go live, and they can go and abuse people. Those people now begin abusing people in the name of communities and so forth. Uh, and then on the ground, the leadership was also missing uh, to call people so that these issues are addressed. Mm. To my brother, every societies, there are always things that crop up. Uh, people are neighbors or people are living together. There are those issues that come up. Sometimes some are big, some are small, some are medium. But the things, not, not naturally, they crop up. But if there is no leadership, there are no mechanisms for those things to be addressed, then it opens up a gap. A gap that will be just remain open until somebody with something fills it. And that is what has happened in this case. Uh, but as I said before, every crisis can be turned into opportunity. What we need in South Sudan is a dialogue. People really need to address things that have happened in the past. John Garang used to say that sometimes it's necessary to go backward so that you gain enough momentum to be able to propel you forward. I think among these communities that we have here, people need to talk about some of the things that happened during the war. People have, have hurt each other in a very serious ways. People have uh, done terrible things to one another. Uh, but we are one people. You know, I myself, right, I'm, I'm from Twitch. My own mother is from, from, from Bor, from, uh, from Baidi. And I'm not just, it's not just only me, pretty much everyone among these communities. We have intermarried for centuries. Uh, we have been administered uh, together for, hundred, for hundreds of years. Uh, so people need to talk. Uh, I think really what the issue is here 
is the grievances that have accumulated for so long that have created mistrust among community members uh, and because of lack of leadership uh, and the new technology of Facebook, social media and individuals going live on their own, whether they have been allowed by their community members or not, but individually just going and doing things on their own that have gone on and unchecked for so long that has triggered all of these things. Uh, but I feel like we really need to talk uh, to really consolidate uh, the unity among our people. And there are questions that people should ask themselves, right? Like the first question is, are they one people? That is the first question. Are they one people? If the, if the answer is yes, then one make them one people. If they are not one people, then why are they not? Uh, if they are one people, what is it that makes them one people? What is the foundation of the identity? Is identity form or name alone? Because that would be tragic if only name is what unites these communities. It has to be bigger than that. So what are those things that unite them? How do they build on them? How do they deal with challenges that are new, that are unique to them? Challenges of technology where people are staying in countries that have these other laws that protect them, even if they are hurting social cohesion and the dignity of other members of the community. Because here we have in the West, even newspapers, to sue a newspaper is very, very difficult. You know, freedom of speech is the hallmark of America and Western democracy. So how do you deal with that? Because these people are not just saying it in the Western context they have ramifications on the ground. So how do you build systems and structures that allow you to deal with these challenges that could become sources of conflict and social disharmony and turn them to opportunities for propelling society forward? Right? How do you deal with uh, challenges of social fragmentation? Now we have kids in Australia, in US and whatever, our society and culture is, is, is being challenged by this. And if we are not careful, they will be replaced by the new society. So how do we build something that is resilient and that continue to remain who we are, but at the same time integrates into the new world in which we are living? How do we make something relevant to the world? Not something that is overtaken by the world but something that is adaptive to it. So I think there is an opportunity for dialogue, but it requires leadership among people, young people, uh, leaders of the community, women. Uh, instead of beating the, the drums of disunity, uh, we need to be able to, to separate issues. Um, the issue of the song, if you listen to the song, uh, the songs, it's actually a very good song. You know, it's someone that is praising Dinka that is in Jongle. That by itself is not the declaration of the identity. And these communities, each of them have their name. Right. I don't think any community can say that we are replacing this community. Right? They exist. Bor is there, Twitch is there, Duke is there, uh, Padang is there. Mm -hmm. 
like all of these are communities in Jonglo. And but there are issues among the communities that have been there for a very long time. And that goes back to the bush. Uh, and some of these issues, elders have not been able to sit down and work them out. They only talk in their closed doors. And that talk has only radicalized certain members. And those members, when they go, they've been going, they've been enabled by Facebook and technology to then go in and talk in souls people and all of that. And this is where the problem is. So in my opinion is now is an opportunity for those who are willing to show leadership uh, to step in and remind the rest of the community the question that I asked before, are we really one people? And then through that dialogue, come back to discover why we are one people. And when that is the case, the name will become irrelevant. Whatever we call ourselves will become irrelevant. Because at the end of the day, Jiang is enough to even unite us. Uh, region we are in is enough to unite us. And those names, by the way, are not even our own. Like now, I accept the name Upper Nile. Upper Nile is an English word. <coughs> So what is, the, what is the problem? You know, the issue of identity is something that evolves. Take, for example, my brother, you and I now. All the cells that are in our bodies are no older than eight years. Because every, every eight years, the cell in your body dies. Each minute, there are new cells being created. And there are old cells dying. And every eight years, the cycle starts again. Now, does that mean every eight years when those cells die and they change, you become a new person? No. Take, for example, if you have a car and you drive the, that car over a course of 10 years, and each time like you go into an accident, you have to change uh, the window, you have to change the back. Uh, maybe the engine have a problem, you put in a new engine, you change the lights, until ultimately you change everything. Does it mean you have a new car? So identity is something that is nuanced. Right. Uh, take a, for example, our neighbors here in, uh, in in Ethiopia. At some point, that whole country used to be called Axiom. Right. Then at some point, it became Abyssinia. Right now, you, you find many restaurants, Ethiopian restaurants, are called Abyssinia. That used to be the name of the country, and then now it's called Ethiopia, and it's still the same place. Right. Even us. In, in South Sudan, the reason why we named those places like New Kuch, we used to believe that our country at some point was called Kuch. Yeah, the Marawi was there. When you listen to the discussion of Victor John, nations, they come and they go. Roman Empire is not there now. Countries like Bavaria, they are no longer there. Everything is subjected to change and all of that. So I don't think there is anyone that does not recognize that uh, among the people of these communities, especially the intellectuals. Uh, but the problem is there are grievances, all grievances that have not been addressed among the community. And those wounds, new things have poured into them. And all of these has made the situation very difficult for us. But I think ultimately, each of these communities, everybody have a name. Bor is there, Twitch is there, Ol is there, uh, Nyarwang is there, Padang is there with all the different divisions in it. It's not an issue. Um, any name can unite us. Greater Board used to unite us. It was, it was a uniting factor. 
we should be asking questions. Why is it being challenged? What is the problem with it? And sit down uh, as people and just discuss the issue. Uh, discuss the issue. It doesn't need us to insult each other. It doesn't need us to compose songs among ourselves. But it can be discussed with like a very cool-headed uh, and then we remind ourselves that we exist within the bigger nation. We are not the nation. The, the, the nation is bigger than us. Even we, Jiang, uh, although majority of people who died for the liberation were from Monja, we cannot say we, fight, we fought to liberate the country in the name of Monja. That was not the reason we went to the bush. We liberated the country in the name of the SPLM. Uh, so I hear some of our people saying we, know we liberated the country in the name of both. Uh, that is a mistake. That was not the, the name of the country. And when our people joined in mass to become uh, part of the liberation struggle, they were not joining Victor John because he's more bored or he's more tweet. Yeah? Or the tweet is the best one, or the board is the best one, or Duke is the best one. No. It was a South Sudanese who was a visionary uh, who could articulate something that can unite the people of South Sudan. And even though there were others in the bush, people uh, coalesce around him because he, he was visionary and he has the ability to lead people to achieve something great. So any one of us can do that. And our tribe or our sub-tribe doesn't matter. It's not because of certain tribe that we, are do, that we do that. No. We do that because God has given us that ability uh, individually. Deng Nial did it, not because he was doing it. Or he would say, he would say today, we did it because we were right. But he did not do that. Yeah. Or uh, even when Gordon Moatad was in the bush and he refused when everybody came back and they say, oh, we have now signed and one. He remained in the bush, Gordon Moatad, and he did not do it because he was a guard. And those who joined him, did not join him because he was a guard. They joined him because he was a South Sudanese who was standing for the right of South Sudan. And the same thing with Salvaqir. When we all uh, rally around Salvaqir, it was not because he was from Gogrial. Uh, it was because he was a, a South Sudanese, he was a, a liberator, and he was someone that all of us can rally around to achieve something great. So that journey is still going on. Uh, so let's always remember that, and let's remember that we are building something that is bigger than any small entity. What we are building is bigger than Dinka. What we are building is bigger than Nuer. What we are building is bigger than Zande, is bigger than Shuluk. So at the end of the day now, does those small identities really matter? Uh, yes, we like to feel our pride and say, oh, I'm more in Twitch, or I'm more in board, or I'm more in Agar, or I'm more in Wet. But at the end of the day, that is not what makes us great. What makes us great is that we are fighting for something bigger. We want to build a nation. We want to build hope for our people, for our society. So these things are because our people are divided. And by the way, it's not just only between Boer and Twi. If you really look, it is even there between uh, Boer and Bairazal, uh, Boer and Twi, you know, Boer and Werab and all of this. And then people really are hurt by these things. So if we are going to unite the nation, uh, we have to be willing to embrace something bigger that unites us. Uh, we should always be looking for something that unites us, not something that keeps us in a constant, because the, the earth is always in motion and change is inevitable. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Peter Daviaraja. I appreciate it. That's a wonderful 
input. I agree 100% because, you know, and I know these two community, they have a good leadership. Here in Diaspora, uh, both have a good uh, community leadership. Twitch also have a good community leadership. Same thing in Australia, same thing in, Australia, in Canada. So these community leaders have to come together and the community have to come together. And back home, the leader, Sultan, need to come together. So these things need to be addressed. So I agree with you. Thank you so much for coming in. And this is this is so wonderful uh, discussion. We touched a lot of things, which is a very crucial to our country, to our people. So it's good that uh, we discuss, have this, this open discussion so the social leaders can hear it. Uh, before I let you go, I just want to give you your last word and then I will let you go. Thank you. Well, thank you, my brother, uh, for the opportunity to host me here. Uh, I just want to remind our people again that, uh, you know, since we got our independence uh, in 2011, our country has been very much stuck. Uh, we are stuck in a position where we cannot move forward. Uh, but we got to our independence, and this country promised so much to its people, people that have done their best uh, to keep the agenda of the liberation moving forward. They fought very hard to bring the country into existence. And since this country was created, it has abandoned the promises that it made to the people of South Sudan. And now we have these two years uh, that were declared uh, to prepare the ground to begin to fulfill that promise and start with the promise of democracy, allowing our people to have a right to decide uh, who should be their leaders. Uh, we, we, I want to tell the leaders of South Sudan, wherever they are, that each one of us, everyone, has an opportunity to serve this country. And we are always uh, looking to see who has a vision for the nation. It doesn't matter where people come from, uh, from anywhere in the country, but we need a credible agenda that can unite our people. We need to be able to extract our resources for the benefit of our people. We need to be able to build a viable economy where people are uh, employed, where they are competing with the companies in East Africa, where we begin to also showcase the talents and all the abilities that the people of South Sudan have to the rest of the world. Uh, we have a lot to offer as a country and as a people. So let us not sell ourselves short. Let's build on our unity. Uh, these next two years are very important. Leaders is the time to show leadership. And let's show leadership through things that unite our people. You know, there is uh, somebody who sings in Dinka. Uh, this is a, a, it's a church song. Uh, uh, let us not shine through doing evil acts. Let's shine through good things. Let's shine through uniting our people. So we have two years. And these two years, the challenge is on everybody, starting with Salvakir, to each and every one of us. Are we going to fail as a people, as a movement, in bringing our people the promises that we made to them for decades, or are we going to deliver? Now is the time to come up with a minimum agenda. Let's sit together, agree on this agenda, and let's give the power back to our people so that they decide who are their leaders, and let's make sure our resources are used for the purposes of empowering them so that we realize 
that country called South Sudan that we can all be proud of, that our martyrs can all be proud of. Whether they are Deng Nyal, John Grang, Harbino Kwanyin, Rokton Arok, Martin Majergai, all of them, uh, Makura Leo, every one of them, uh, Benjamin Bolakuk, all of these leaders, if they wake up today, they will be proud of this country. That is the country we have to build. And the next two years is the time to talk to our people. Let's forgive each other. Let's heal. But then if the leaders don't want to heal, let us heal ourselves. And let us unite our people. And we, the Dinga community, have a special opportunity here and a special obligation. And the same thing with Nuer community. Uh, they have a special obligation and a special responsibility. The Shulu community, all our communities, the Bari community, uh, the, uh, the, the Zande community, the Taposa community, this is the time to unite the country. It's bigger than all of us. And let's build that South Sudanese identity. Let's build our culture around it. Let's unite our culture to build a much bigger, much more brighter national culture that can unite all of us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Peter Biara Jack, for thank you for coming in. And this is a wonderful show for this evening. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. And I will see you next time. So I will bring you back again if there are, because there's a lot we need this discussion. Our people need this so we can hear it. So thanks so much for coming. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank Bye -bye. you. And for those of you who are watching, and for those, and then for those of you who are waiting, thank you so much for coming in. Have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you very much, my dear Thank <laughs> you.